I'm Sam Seitels, and you are listening to The Pillars of Hamilton. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's not a typical episode where I highlight someone from Hamilton. This is Diabetes Awareness Month. So I brought in a good friend of ours named Heather Cundiff, as she's the one everyone pointed us to when our son got diagnosed with type 1, as she has a daughter who also has type 1 diabetes. If you are listening to this episode to find out what the the signs are, just so you become educated about what to look out for in case someone has diabetes, we talk about that at the end of the episode. So if you're only here for that, you can skip to the end. But if you want to hear our stories, if you want to hear what we've been through, what our children have been through, I highly suggest sticking through this, and I think you will really learn a lot. You'll be moved, and hopefully you'll also be entertained. Uh, Joining myself and Heather is my beautiful wife, Lisa, and we just break it all down for you and what we have gone through and what you should look out for just in case you come across someone who has type 1 diabetes. So without further ado... Please welcome my guests, Lisa and Heather. You're listening to the Pillars of Hamilton. That's with me, Sam Sidetells. And you want to know what I'm going to give them? Only the finest that Hamilton has to offer. The biggest blueberries you've ever seen, baby. And they're all here right now. In the studio now, it is it is filled with three nervous Nellies. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do this, and we're gonna make our kids proud tonight. Um, so you've been on the show before, but could you reintroduce yourself? Hi, I'm Lisa Seitel, Sam's wife. Nice to meet you, and uh, and. I heard about you way before I even met you, and we'll get into that, but please, will you introduce yourself to the world? Uh, I'm Heather Cundiff. Hey, Heather. Hi. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah. So, when our kid, when our son Casey was first diagnosed, you know, we spoke to a lot of people around town, so much support. People were being supportive all over the place, Uh, but there was one name in particular people kept bringing up, and they were like, you should talk to Heather. You should talk to Heather. So many. I went to the wow. gym, talked to, uh, who was it, Carrie there or somebody. Uh, you should talk to Heather all over the place. Like, you were the one to go to. Wow, that's really flattering. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been dealing with this for a long time, right? Um, yeah, April will be four years for Leah since her diagnosis. So, I mean, not super long, but I don't know. It fe- Sometimes it feels like it's been forever. Does it feel like a lifetime? It feels like it was just yesterday. It's a strange thing when you think about it. Yes, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's only for us like seven months, eight months. Eight months. But I mean, yeah. it just turns your world upside down. So right. suddenly it's almost like <clears throat> that feeling when you have kids where it's just like everything's changed, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Literally Absolutely. everything's changed. Totally, yep. Mm-hmm. So wh- how did you find out? What what was what was uh, the signs that were coming in and how did you figure it out? Um. You know, it was it was springtime, so she hadn't been feeling well on and off, so I assumed she had come home with a, a bug or, you know, a virus or whatever. And, you know, she was on and off probably for a couple weeks, just not feeling well, her stomach bothering her. And, you know, I had also been noticing over a couple weeks that she was getting very thin, but she was, like, looking taller to me. It was, it was such a strange thing. I thought, wow, she's really having a growth spurt. She looks so thin, and she looks taller, and um, 
then Charlotte, my older daughter, said to me, "Did you do you know that Leah's been getting up multiple times a night to go to the bathroom? Now, I didn't know that because my husband and I were da- like down the hall, but the girls' bedrooms were next to each other. And I said, no, like how many times? And she's like, I'm thinking once or twice. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'll tell her not to drink so much before bed. She said like five or six times a night she was getting up. And I'm like, wow, that's strange. And then she came down one Sunday morning for breakfast. And I looked at her knees and it looked like the skin was stretched over her knee. Like they were like bone, like, like I swollen, bone. almost like no, knobs, like, like, like knobby, like, like she looked almost skeletal to me. I thought, what is going on? And I just started Googling like weight loss and, um, you know, thirst and, and going to the bathroom a lot. And every time I put it in, kept coming up, type one diabetes, type one diabetes, look for these other signs. And then, um, I noticed the drinking started, like I was noticing now after Googling things that she was drinking all day long, couldn't get enough to drink. And then I said to my husband, I'm going to make a doctor's appointment the next day. And, um, she woke up nauseous and she was sick to her stomach, but she kept telling me how hungry she was. And I thought, this is so weird. Like she was getting sick and then she's like, mommy, I'm hungry. And then I'd give her something to eat because I felt bad. And then she'd get sick again. And then she's like, I need something to eat. And I'm like, this is not, this is crazy. So we went to the doctor and, you know, it was disappointing because he was like, you know, oh, I think she's fine. You know, she seems in a good mood. She's got a virus or whatever. And I'm like, no, something's not right. I have been... You know, and you say to some doctors that you've been Googling stuff, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, they get upset. <laughs> yeah, they look at you like you're right. crazy. How many times a day do you think they get that? Yeah, and <laughs> I'm know? sure I'm sure it's super annoying, but I just knew. I said, no, this is not this is not right. And he's like, well, we can set you up for blood work. You know, we'll send you next week. I said, no. Can you just test her blood sugar right now? I think it's type 1 diabetes. He's like, oh, I think you're jumping the gun. And I said, no, this this is not right. Um so he wouldn't test her in the office, was sending us for blood work the following week. So I left the doctor's office, took, I'm, her, to, I'm just took her to the cu- ER. I'm just curious, why wouldn't he? Why? And, and it I don't can know. be a simple test. It, it should have been simple. I mean, needless to say, we were, we were long <laughs> gone from that practice. But I took her to the ER, and um, they took her in right away. And they, they took her back to examine her, check her blood sugar, and they came back in maybe 10 minutes later. They're like, she's type 1 diabetic. They told me right away. You know, they stabilized her, got her going with insulin and everything. And then we were transported to CHOP. So, and she was there for the week. You, know, you guys are familiar with that. So, um, what was her blood sugar at that time? It was, I believe at the time, it was like 587. And, you know, they said it possibly could have been higher, but she had she had been so sick, and every time, you know, she was getting sick, you know, it was possible that um, it was going down. But um, it was just such a – I even though I had been researching it over that two-day period, and I had told myself this is what it was, to finally hear them say it was such a surreal thing. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. And um, 
it just was like such a blur after that, those first few days mm. in CHOP. But um, when, uh, <clears throat> Most people, <clears throat> excuse me, most people probably have no idea what you're talking about when you say that her, her blood was 587. Right. Could you describe that, what that means? Um, a normal blood sugar for a non-diabetic would be probably uh, in anywhere from like the 60s to... Under 100 is like a normal blood sugar for a non-diabetic. So for somebody to have a blood sugar of 587, obviously it's extremely high. And that's because their their body's not able to process the, the sugar that's in their system. So, you know, without the insulin, the natural insulin to take care of it and regulate their blood sugar, it's out of control. Um, <clears throat> how... How was your whole family during this time? Um, my, my family was, you know, obviously super concerned and, um, they, but they were, they were great. I mean, they, um, they were supportive. They were there for us. I have a cousin who, um, is married to a woman who is a type one diabetic. She was diagnosed in her twenties when she was in college so one night I was coming back, we were, I, we were in the hospital and I was coming back from getting water for Leah and I saw him coming down the hallway. Like he just drove from his, from his town to, and he just showed up to see us in the hospital and I was just overwhelmed yeah, I by feel like seeing him that's there. That's amazing. And, yeah. I feel like the type one community is really there for each oh, yeah. other, especially because I feel like most of us realize that the people who don't have that in their lives just don't have a clue and that we really need each other for support mm-hmm. and for ideas and to educate each other. Uh, it's so important because there's so many misconceptions out there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I feel like because diabetes tends to be like a joke or like a punchline to a lot of people, you know, you, you see it on TV shows or you hear people make jokes about diabetes it's, you know, now that your your family's living it and your child's living it, you're like, I, you just feel compelled to educate and let people know what diabetes really is. And, you know, I never, I felt bad because I never really thought about it before. And then when it was my child going through it, I thought, wow, this is crazy. I had no idea um, what was involved and, and what a life changing thing this was going to be for her and I just said to myself I have to do everything I can for her um you know while she's young and and help her navigate this so that more people know about it more people are educated more people can you know if they're seeing this happen in their own lives you know they can take action it's so not funny is the wrong word but (laughs) (laughs) coincidental that you say that that uh, it's the punchline because I literally earlier today was listening to a song. Uh, Lisa and I uh, are fans of this comedian musician named Bo Burham and his song is about sad and he's just listing off these sad things and kind of in a joking way. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the lines was, I saw a diabetic kid trick or treating. And that's the sad thing, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a punchline, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. knowing what we know about diabetes, it's, 
it's that's not the, funny. Well, right. it's also the misconception, right? That, that they absolutely. can't have that candy. Mm-hmm. We went trick or treating with yeah, our son. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's more about that. It's not that they can't have the candy because they can, but they're obviously not going to sit there and down a whole bag. Like, you know, when I was little, I would eat like probably 15 pieces of candy after mm-hmm. trick or treating. Well, Casey's not going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to have like a few pieces, get insulin for it, and then, you know, go and do something else. Right. So there is like a a bit of a lack of freedom taken away and that he's not going to just sit there and down whatever he wants. But, you know, he's he's accepted that. For the people who are listening and have no idea about the truths, of the, they probably think they can't have sugar because that's like the big the right. big thing that people say about diabetes. What are those misconceptions that, anyone listening you'd like them to know are false and 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 what is the truth well um like you said about not having sugar i mean that was something we encountered almost immediately because when when leah went back to school after you know being discharged and being home for a few days she went back to school and it was somebody's birthday and i remember she came home and she was really bummed out i said what's the matter and she said it was so-and-so's birthday and um they skipped over giving me a cupcake because they thought I couldn't have it. And I said, did you tell them you could have it? And she said, well, I felt weird, so I just I didn't have it. I took a snack out of my bag. And I, it broke my heart, and I, I got upset, and I got angry, and I had all these feelings, and I thought, you know what? It's nobody's fault because a lot of people just don't know that they're allowed to have whatever they want. They just have to take insulin with it. So she can have cake. She can have candy. They, they all can have whatever they want. The difference is their body is not making the insulin to handle it, so we give it to them, and that's it. Um, and I think another misconception is that they did something to, you know, mm. quote-unquote, get diabetes, which, like they had too much sugar right. and stuff like or that. They like, were like overweight or exactly. um, they did mm-hmm. it to themselves. Right. So they, they they got diabetes, which a lot of people think that. And, you know, when you, you know, I, I knew I already knew that, that, you know, type 1 diabetics didn't do anything to get diabetes. But I, I learned in our classes that um, diabetes is an autoimmune disease. I did not know that. So... You know, when I talk to people about type 1 diabetes and I explain to them, you know, it's an autoimmune disease, they're always surprised, you know, because that's not information that's given a lot about it. But the fact that, you know, their own bodies did this, you know, like a viral attack and, and you know, now they don't have the cells that make the insulin, that's that's information that a lot of people are surprised to learn. And I think, <clears throat> right, that doctors don't really know why this is happening. Yes, right. I mean, it can be a, an environmental thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't even have to have someone in your family that has type 1 diabetes necessarily right. to mm-hmm. get type 1 diabetes. It can be a virus um, that combines just in the right way with maybe a certain set of genes and mm-hmm. kills the pancreas. Um, yeah, it's just a trigger. Something triggers it, um, whether it be a virus or, you know, some sort of perfect storm happens and, you know, that's that's the end result. Yeah, and another misconception I would say, um, just that I even admit to growing up 
uh, knowing very well a type 1 diabetic is not truly understanding um, how difficult this disease is. Like what happens behind the scenes that nobody sees right. from day to day. That's a good point. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I want you to answer this. Is that <clears throat> it sounds almost easy if you just put it on paper. You, you supplement the uh, number of carbs with the right amount of insulin. Bada bing, bada boom, you're good. Right. It it's sounds so easy I'm on paper. I'm much sorry I'm laughing because <laughs> It's like so, so much more complicated. Right. I mean, in fact, like the doctors just taught us a, a whole mathematical formula to right. calculate insulin dosage based on carbs and blood sugar. And you have to like right. do division and adding. And, you know, I'm perfectly fine with doing all of that. But I mean, let's just take, you know, someone out there who was never great at math. <laughs> And that's a problem, you know? And another one. <laughs> yes. Are you one of those oh. people, Heather? When they started showing me all these things, I went, oh, no. I thought about that. That's another thing. It's like when we were getting educated, I thought right. to myself, what is someone who'd never graduated high school <laughs> going to do with this information? Yes, and, and I was thinking as my mom writes articles on d type 1 diabetes and, and for years, 10 years plus, right. and... Like, I'm aware of, in her articles in particular, about, like, how to educate patients, about, like, how, how to really educate them so that they follow the directions, because this is complicated. How to, like, really make it simple and so that they comply and take care of their health, etc. And um, it's, it's, as I'm sitting there in the emergency room, well, actually in the hospital at that point, listening to all the doctors and nurses telling me, like, this is how you administer insulin. This is, like, the formula you're going to use to calculate it. This is the nutrition class you're going to take. Um, this is, like, what diabetes is. This is, like, what happened to Casey's pancreas. And, you, and you're and you in a horrible emotional state in the hospital dealing with, like, a traumatic diagnosis. And you're expected to take in all of this information in, in like really six hours over a few days and then leave and be your child's full-time doctor. Right. And they're like, and you'll be fine. And right. that's not how I felt when I left the hospital. No, and I totally can sympathize with that because it's such an overwhelming feeling. You're like, I have to give this to my child so they can survive, but this can also kill them if I do it wrong. So yes. it's the most overwhelming feeling like sometimes you just feel like you're drowning like I have to do this right this has to be right and you know it's it's hard to understand unless you're living it day to day because it does sound simple like oh if you're gonna have this you take your insulin every time but like oh and I've had people say to me and this is also frustrating but they don't know they're like well just don't give her any um mm, carbs. don't give her carbs right yeah and I say well, first of all, you realize, you know, carbs aren't just in sugary treats and snacks and candy. Like she's me eating meat and cheese all fruits, day long. Yeah, fruits and vegetables <laughs> yes. have carbs. Like, so that's not an answer. But you know, even if they don't eat anything, they still have to have insulin. Like that. I think that's something people don't get. Like, yeah, just for blood sugar alone, right? Like, Heather, even you if come you come just a little closer, sure. Cool. Thanks. Even if you're not eating anything you could be have no food at all in your system but your body is still regulating your blood sugar with insulin if you have food or not so you know and we see it if there's a pod failure like we get to see what happens like you know leah 
could go hours without having anything to eat, but she has a pod failure and she's not getting that background insulin. You just watch the blood sugar go up and up and up and up. So that's another you know misconception. People are like, well, she just needs to eat differently and you won't have to give her insulin, which is not obviously not the case. Yeah, Plus, and people need carbs to grow. The right. doctor said they would be very concerned if we cut out carbs from right. our child's diet. And the other thing I've gotten, which is sort of surprising, is, well, why don't you just have them stop eating gluten? And I'm thinking, what does this have to do with I think with that's some people's anything? answer for everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, the, and also, if, if, if our children are not eating carbs, like you were saying. Right. That means they're not having fruits and they're not having vegetables right. and other things with fiber. Right. They're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins that they need. So they're right. gonna, so they're going to become unhealthy in a completely other way along right. with their mm-hmm. diabetes. These are foods that they need to have in order to grow and be strong. Right. Brain development, everything. They need to have carbs, period. So um, that, that was another thing that, um, you know, we dealt with in the beginning uh, when people were unaware uh, pe- people around us were unaware of you know what was involved. So, um, you know, you run into a lot of a lot of things. One thing we ran into recently, and I'm sure Lisa told you the story, but I want Lisa to tell it over the microphone. Was, and I'm not saying this is a typical thing that happens to people who have diabetes, but it happened to us, and uh, it, it's because of a doctor's mistake. Uh, you want to tell them what happened to little Casey because of a doctor's mistake. Yeah, so I took Casey in for his um, checkup um, at a new doctor's office based off of where our insurance um, now allowed us to go. We switched uh, several insurances uh, once he was diagnosed, um, which in itself was traumatic. But I took him to this doctor, and I was very frustrated at the time because I felt like I had, after I had left the hospital, I had basically received zero education courses on it, and I felt like... I was questioning whether I was doing well enough um, as his doctor. And so when I went there, um, and he was also, by the way, at summer camp um, here with us every day and very active. So I had concerns of, like, did I know what I was doing right for him because um, blood sugar and insulin, all of that has to do with uh, also exercise. Exercise affects it significantly. And so when I took him in for his, um, you take them in every three months for their checkup, I expressed my frustrations and I said that I didn't, you know, feel like I had had enough education courses. And I think at that time they mentioned they wanted to, they didn't, didn't do it the way CHOP did it. They wanted to do it with the mathematical formulas now, and I was very overwhelmed by that. You, what They wanted to change his scale. Yes. X number they, of carbs equals to, X number of units of insulin. Yeah, and Yes, and I also said that I believed that, you know, I had them look at his um, numbers, and it seemed that his, uh, his blood sugar uh, insulin doses and scales um, needed to be adjusted. A scale is just um, numbers saying this is how much insulin you'll give him for carbs and this is how much insulin you'll give him for blood sugar. And then you add the two together to give him his dose. So um, I said, you know, he's so active now, the scale probably needs to be adjusted a little bit. And they agreed. Um, So they left the room and they came back and eventually with a new chart to go off of for his dosing. And... They told me, 
that this is the one I was going to use from now on. I took a look at it, and I noticed it was different. I noticed that the numbers were higher. Um, so for a certain number of carbs, I would give, be giving him more insulin. For a certain blood sugar, I'd be giving him more insulin. And I thought, well, they know what they're doing. You know, this is his doctor's. Um, I'm pretty new to this. I'm only a few months in. So I know that this has to be, you know, changed to meet his needs now at summer camp. So this is the scale I'm going to go with. And then they told me that they would be in touch with uh, people in Wilmington about some more education classes for me. So it turns out that me requesting the education class saved my son's life. And that is because... Um, four hours later, I was taking my son Jaden to the eye doctor, and I had dropped Casey back off at camp with Sam and the staff. And all I can say is, thank God Casey didn't want to eat when we got back. So I told Sam, like, here's his new dosing scale to, you know, give him his medicine. And I got to get to the eye doctor with Jaden, um, just check on him later. And if he wants to eat, you know, here's the scale. And I left. So... I ran a couple errands, went to the eye doctor, got a call at the eye doctor from a nurse at the hospital, and in a very panicked voice, she said, don't use the scale. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And she didn't say much at all after that. She just said, don't use the scale. And I said, it's too late. I'm sure my husband's used it. It's been four hours. I haven't seen my son in four hours. And she said, call him. And I'll call you back soon. And I was like, okay. So I just called Sam and I said, Sam, something is horribly wrong. They just told me, don't use the new dosing scale for his medicine. Please go get him right now and check on him. And I also messaged the staff member in charge of Casey, Alex. And I said, you know, where's Casey? Please get him to Sam immediately. Something's wrong. And she said, you know, we just were in the pool. And I said, oh, no, his Dexcom doesn't work in the pool. It loses signal. So we don't know what's going on with his blood sugar right now. So Sam runs and gets him, takes him upstairs, tests his sugar, and he is at 26. He is at death's door. Can I put that in perspective? I mean, when when she says that I was bringing him inside, I mean, when I got him, he was totally out of sorts, mm-hmm. crying, saying that he had a headache. And then I'll never forget him walking up those stairs because he was literally holding on to the guardrail, or the guardrail, the handrail, like like he was holding on for dear life, like he was about to go down the stairs. Never seen him like that before I test him. And what should have been... 70 at the very least was down in the 20s and 30s. Right. And um, I just had him chugging, chug this soda, chug this, chug that. I just had him going. And for most, for anybody who doesn't know, usually when somebody reaches a blood sugar of 30 or 40, a lot of times they become unconscious. Yes. So for him to be 26 is, is dangerously low. Yes. And the fact that he was... Just in the pool, he could have passed out in the pool. Right. And he and they had just taken him out. And the the scale turned out to be um, over five times as much insulin as Casey should have received. And that was they basically had instructed us 
to give her a son a death sentence by injecting him with that much insulin. And I called Sam back. He told me what the situation was. And I was just traumatized. And the nurse called me back, and I said, I told her what happened and that he had just got down the pool. His blood sugar was 26. And I'll never forget the way she said, oh, no, this is our fault. This is totally our fault. I'm so sorry. And I just said, how did this happen? And she said, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, like I learned later later when the doctor called me, because she said he'd be calling to check on Casey, that he said that the nurse got the, took the wrong dosing chart from a binder and gave it to us. But in my head, I thought that had to pass by her eyes and your eyes. And it did. should have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I got it. And I took it home to my six-year-old. Who, and I took it home from people I was supposed to trust. Right. And it was... I remember just sitting in my office the next day after I went through the whole night making sure Casey recovered from this, and I just burst into tears, and I felt like I had PTSD Mm -hmm. because the shock of the fact that I could have lost my son by our own hand nonetheless. And that's it. The fact that we're having to give something to our children that, if it's done incorrectly, could kill them. It's it's just something that you can't shake or or let go of when there's a mistake, even when even just the knowing that that's the case, and or relieving your child with somebody and trusting them to give the right dose, or yeah. it's just there's so much that comes along with this diagnosis. And it's it's not like some crazy amount of insulin visually. Uh, we're talking about like using uh, about a quarter of a syringe. Versus, you know, uh, half of the syringe. Right. You know, a mistake like that could just have them plummet. Exactly. So I want to I wanna say that <clears throat> based off that story, one of the biggest changes in our life, Heather, is, is just the constant worrying. That's, that's probably, I would say, the biggest change in our life is just the constant you have to be on it because if you're not on it, you could find yourself in some, in some serious trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, how, how is your change? Uh, Sorry. How has your life changed since the diagnosis? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's a huge change because you, you, know, you still try to do all the things you normally do because they're your kids and you want them to feel like everything is the same, even though it's different. So you go about your daily life and try to do all the things and the vacations and the trips. Oh, I see your Facebook. These kids look like they're living it up. <laughs> Don't they? Did I see one of them with boxing gloves the other day? No, that's Heather. <laughs> okay. It's still, I'm very happy right. about that. What? She sings, she punches. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, but it, behind the scenes, you're trying, you're doing all of the the work that goes with all the devices, all the medications, all the supplies, having everything the way you need it to be so that they can, because they're children right now, 
you don't want them to feel like their life is so different from everybody else's. So there's so much thought and planning and packing and, and, you know, lists and things when you're trying to just do normal activities that you have to plan for that you didn't before. You can't be anywhere without your, your fast acting carbs. You can't be anywhere without your extra insulin. You can't be anywhere without, you know, your extra pods or your extra Dexcoms. Like, Everything. There's so many supplies. Yes. Could you explain what a and, Dexcom and is for anyone who might not know what you're talking about? Um, a Dexcom is a godsend. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. A Dexcom is a wearable um, blood sugar monitor. Um, so, so before the children got their Dexcoms, you know, they're doing finger sticks literally um, Every time they want to eat something, or if they're not eating, every every few hours to check their blood sugar. Yeah, let me explain what that is. So a finger stick is what we had to start off doing, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking about once a day. I'm talking about oh, like eight, multiple. ten times a day, where you're yeah. poking your kid's Easy. finger yeah. and using a machine to find out what their current blood sugar right. is. And you know, especially when you're first starting out, like mm-hmm. poking needles into your children is. And very then if much. you like get it wrong the first time, you have to look at them and apologize and say, "I'm so sorry. I have to do this again." Right. Oh, what a horrible feeling. Oh, I'll never. Never forget a night, Heather. <laughs> Sorry, we'll go on about the Dexcom. But yes. I remember one night, Heather, where it was maybe night four at home, and I could not get it right. Oh, I would no. poke, not enough blood, poke uh, the strip. It didn't, like, the blood didn't, didn't go read. on. It didn't read. Right. And, like, I, I I lost it, man. I you know. know. Shit, crap. No, <laughs> damn it. Ugh. And it you're just, squeezing blood out of this poor kid. Yeah. Like, Come on, give me, give me some good just blood here. Give it yes. to us. <laughs> Yeah, so Dexcom, sorry. (laughs) Um, So Dexcom is a a wearable monitor device that you insert and they wear it for 10 days. So for 10 days on their their little reader, their monitor, they can see their blood sugar um, because the Dexcom is reading it for 10, all day for 10 days. And, you know, you can see it on your phone or you can see it on the, on the reader that comes with the Dexcom. So for that 10 day period, they're not doing any finger sticks, which is wonderful. So when they're sleeping, you can just look at it. You don't have to, you know, prick their fingers. Like it just and it was gives such alerts. a game changer. It, it gives alerts. Yeah, so, so if they're having yeah. a high, if they're having a low, it will put set on an alarm. So instead of you know setting our phone phone alarm every three hours to wake up and go yes. do a finger stick, we just set the Dexcom, and then if she's high, it'll wake us up. If she's low, it'll wake us up. So that was just such a Oh, a game changer. I, you cannot explain yeah. how good it feels not having to wake up and poke your kid while they're sleeping. Right. And every three hours. And every three, multiple times mm-hmm. in a night. I mean, it's just, right. it's awful. It was like having a newborn all over again, you know, every three hours getting up, like, like you're getting up to feed a yes, baby. Yes, it definitely felt and that way. Yeah, and we, you know, Leah was nine, so I'm like, you know, and I'm, I'm older and I'm like, oh my God, this, I can't do this. This is crazy, but we did it for a year you know, because you don't, they, they want you to do it for a year to get familiar and get comfortable because, you know, they always say if anything breaks, if anything goes wrong, you have to know how to go back to basics. So, you know, we went the year without the Dexcom. So um, for that whole year, we were just like zombies all the time. Yes, I can't imagine because we really, I guess because of Casey's age, we were able to push them more mm-hmm. on the Dexcom. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it finally arrived and we started using it. It it was literally a game changer. Oh. Also for him, you know, not just us, but also for him, huge game changer. Mm-hmm. So clearly, 
the three of us are a mess. This, <laughs> this is very clear. We are going crazy. But that's not what really matters, right? right. What matters is that these kids are getting to be kids and loving Absolutely, life. Yeah. So how has life been for Leah, would you say, since the diagnosis? I mean, her, her life has been great. Um, you know, that, and that's the thing, you know, I, I could sit and talk about all the hard things and the things that were traumatizing and terrible because that's just fact. That was, you know, that's what you go through. That's what you guys have been through. That's what most everybody has been through. But I think the most important thing was to drive home to her that we're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. You're going to live a long, healthy life. You're going to do everything you want to do. Um, oh, you know, that gets me emotional hearing yeah. that. Just And, you know, and she, she'd say, you know, she was old enough, nine going on 10, you know, she was doing her own research and she was coming to us with these really like heart wrenching questions about her life and what was her life going to be like. And she said, you know, she did her, she decided to do her report that school year the end of the year on type one diabetes because she wanted to explain it to her friends in the class and so so that we're ready can you explain to us what questions that she asked you she when she was getting ready to do this report um she came across some information and she said you know it, it says that my lifespan um will probably be 68 years is that true is that doesn't seem very long and we were just totally floored and didn't even know what to say and um, I said, well, you know, first of all, I don't know if that is true. I said, I think you're going to live as, as long as you uh, imagine, if you imagine yourself living to 105, that's how long you're going to live. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to live your life and, and be healthy and do all the things you want to do. And I don't think anybody can put a time limit on your life, you know, just because you Googled it. So um, it was hard to hear her say that and listen to her fears, but I just said to her, you know, there's, you can't look up something and say, this is going to be what my life is like. You're going to make your life what you want it to be, and you're going to do the things you want to do. And I think over time, talking about it and, and, you know, listening to her fears and talking through it, she's like, you know what, I'm going to do anything and everything I want to do. I'm going to live a great life and everything's going to be good. And, you know, obviously, you know, you have your moments where you're like, this sucks. This is, I hate this, you know, and then, you know, you come out of it and you keep pushing forward and she's got a, such family support, such friend support, such town support that it's just been incredible. Like the school, the teachers, the nurses, her friends, like I can't, I couldn't have asked for a better support system in the town and, and the people around us. It's just been incredible. So I think that has made it a little easier oh, to that deal makes, with everything. That makes such a difference. Because yeah. to, to go through all this and feel like you're you're alone, right? that that, that would be very tough. And, the, right. uh, you know, say what you want about this town with its rumors and this <laughs> and that and all the stuff you have to go through. In the right. end, uh, we're here for each other. And, and that's right. so important. Especially yes. during the times you need them most yeah. like this. Yeah, and uh, speaking of um, people that were supportive, she couldn't be here tonight, but Teresa Christopher, the nurse at ECEC, is an amazing person. She is, yeah. And a huge support um, to us this entire time. And um, our story with Casey at Diagnosis was 
very similar to yours, like even Googling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I wrote an article about that so people could read that mm-hmm. if they're interested. But Teresa's story is also very similar. So the thing that falls back when you're like trying to educate people about diabetes is that if you come across like three people and their story is so similar, like they see the the sudden weight loss, the the thirst, the getting up and peeing during the night or bedwetting, mm-hmm. um, you know, scratches that won't heal in the face. Mm-hmm. It, that was it, something I wanted to say to you too because I, I noticed that with the, the picture that you posted today of Casey – and in the picture I posted of Leah, you can't see it unless you zoom in. She had a cut above her eye that I could not figure out why it wasn't healing. Yes. And they had asked me at the hospital, how long did she have this cut? I said, it's been there for months. And they're like, okay, um, you know, you have to watch now with injuries and cuts and things. The healing process is a lot slower with yes. type 1 diabetics, so, yeah. And you know how children usually heal pretty fast from things, so mm-hmm. that really threw me off. So when I was Googling his symptoms on the day that we ended up taking him to the ER, um, I put in every single one of them, and up pop type 1. And as much as I grew up for the last 39 years with a type 1 diabetic, mm-hmm. not living with us, but a very good family friend, I... I looked at the type one on Google and I thought that can't be us. Right. It doesn't run in our family. And right. I was like, and then I re-Googled and I was like, let me get a different answer to pop up, you know? Right. And it, it's like, like that's an important point I want to make is that like, it does not have to run in anyone's family. Right. Correct. For someone to get, type 1 diabetes. It does not. Right. So if you're sitting there questioning these symptoms and you're like me and Heather and you Google and type 1 diabetes comes up, don't sit there and, like, brush it off. Um, act on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to give a shout-out to our great friend Steph. who Shout-out Steph. Steph. <laughs> um, Steph and... Um, is the one who told us when she was watching him that night, I think he has type 1 diabetes. And because I Googled it, I, I did not even question her when she said that mm-hmm. to Sam. Like, I did not question her. She tested it. him for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I you know was a bit in a panic and called my mom. Oh, who that knows night was very tough. So much about diabetes. And she said, take him back to Steph and have her test him with her monitor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, genius, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so I rushed him back there, and she tested him. And, like, I just can't rem- get out of my head ever her monitor flashing. It was like a big monitor, not mm-hmm. one that we have. Right. And it just flash, flash. And she, like, looks at me in terror and grabs my arm. And she's like, Lisa, this is not good. And I'm like... In that moment, like, I literally thought he would die. I, I turned pale. I felt sick. I, you know, was in tears. Yeah. And um, and his blood sugar was 676. Yeah. Um, he, the doctors told me later that he might not have made it to the next day at that point. Yeah. So, you know, if she hadn't, you know, coincidentally been watching him that day and this is going to circle back to why I spread awareness. Mm -hmm. I spread awareness because 
her awareness and my mom's awareness and me Googling it, mm -hmm. becoming aware, saved his life. Yeah. Uh, it, um, you know, it's... And Teresa, just to bring in Teresa yeah. real quick, in her um, message about Pat, her son who has diabetes, her as a nurse had mm -hmm. awareness. Right. And even as a nurse, I believe she questioned, like, could this be type 1? Because when you c come across type 1, you're thinking... No. Right. Can't be type 1 diabetes. Like, right. That sounds crazy. But even she took him in and asked the doctor to test his A1C, and she said the doctor looked at her like, why are you asking me this? Which right. shouldn't be no. the reaction. The reaction should be like, trust the mother's instinct. Right. And I, you know, and I think something I did too was I automatically assumed that all doctors and all nurses, and this is not the case, and it's probably not fair to assume this, but I assume they all know about it and they all know everything about it. Well, they don't. No. Um, you know, some know more than others. Some don't know that much. And I've come across people in the medical field who will tell me, you know, I don't really know that much about it. I It's not something I had to study. It's not so, so I just assumed you know, foolishly that they all know about, you know, all these things that well, happen. It's a very complicated thing too. It right. takes a lot of time. And, um, you know, I fortunately have like one of my best friends, she is um, a physician's assistant. And I remember over those two days, um, texting her and telling her that I thought that this is what was going on. And I said, but the doctor seems hesitant to even listen to what I'm saying. And she said, you, you need to take action. She's, you know, and she said to me, what's she doing now? I said, she's laying on the couch. I keep trying to wake her up. And she's like, you need to, you need to take her because, you know, and her, her breath smelled very fruity to me, like, and, and learning later that she was in diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm. Um, and she was like basically coming in and out of consciousness. And I, you know, when I, we finally took her in and they said, you know, it's very serious. Like you were saying, you know, you don't realize it. And it kind of hits you later how close you come to losing your child. And yes. And, and I feel like it's a matter of things just going in the right direction that's, that in the end saves them. Let me like, say something to that because I wanted to ask Heather because this is actually not even to inform anyone who's listening. This is for my own personal. I, I just need to ask this. So I'm a very much live for today kind of guy. But man, the days leading up to him... And his diagnosis continued to like eat at my soul. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get emotional, so I'm going to be strong. But honestly, like there were times where like he wouldn't do what I was asking him, and I thought he was being defiant. So you know, I would, you know, throw him in his room or whatever it was, or it, maybe I came down hard on him, like really, you know, yelled at him for something that I had no idea he was feeling like this. And we don't know how many days it was. But he was feeling ill for a while, and right. gosh, I just think to myself, like, maybe a cold, maybe whatever, he'll be okay. And so when it became real, gosh, it still eats away at me, yeah. feeling that I was not, we, I didn't figure it out quick enough, and I wasn't very nice to him when he wasn't feeling well. And it eats away at me. I don't even know if that's a question. Do you have anything like that, though, I, that... You know, I totally understand what you're saying because when I look back at photos, because I'm a big picture taker, 
I, I probably am taking photos literally every day of the dog, of the kids, of whatever. <laughs> yes. I mean, all the time. Like now that we have iPhones, it's just too easy. So when I look back at all the photos that I took probably the weeks leading up to her diagnosis, I realized every photo I've had of her, she was laying down on the couch, curled up, sleeping, and the dog was like laying on top of her. And the dog was with her like everywhere she went. Um, and you know, I later come to find out they train dogs to, to smell the high blood sugars or, you know, they can tell when they're having low blood sugars. And my dog, I think was just on her own realizing something was wrong with, with Leah because they're very, they're super tight. That's like her dog. So I'm seeing these photos and I'm thinking about how she was at school and like, and I'm looking at pictures of her when she was awake and she's like, you know, just kind of eyes half closed and her hair was just not quite right. And, and even I had taken her to get her hair cut and the, the stylist was like, her hair feels weird. And there was all these things that when I finally sat and put it all together and the cuts and everything, I thought, man, what is wrong with me? Like, how did I? And so you kind of beat yourself up, even though there's no way you could have pieced it together in the little bits you were getting in at a time. Yes, that, like that's the crazy thing is yeah. that the little bits come at you like one thing here, like the bedwetting, mm-hmm. and then which sometimes kids wet their bed, but then like you realize it's too much that they're wetting their bed, right. and then like your kid got a scratch the next day and you know a few days go by you're like oh that's odd it's not healing and then but you're not like connecting that this dot is connected to this dot which is connected to him drinking water all the time which is connected to him getting up and just lying on the couch for two hours which is instead of him not participating in a play date Mm -hmm. like just sitting there like saying his stomach hurts when he's eating like like you just But they all come at you like they're almost individualized things. Or right. then you're thinking like, oh, maybe he's just got a cold or a virus mm-hmm. or it's the flu. Or yeah. like until, bam, it's in your face. Right. The For us, like the last possible day it can be in your face. Right. And it's almost like some sort of divine force comes in and like yes. makes you because you're literally at the end of of your clues yes and your, piece, and no your puzzle more, pieces there's no more to be right. given it's either you right. figure it out in that moment or you don't so right. what would you say because we do have to get to the chat pack and wrap this thing up so what is the one thing you would want to say to anyone who um has never experienced this or not just just anybody just so they're aware what would you like to tell them what should they know I think that they should definitely know um, the signs and symptoms uh, for developing type 1 because, in all honesty, that's what will save someone's life. And that is um, ultimately going to like prevent you from having your child end in DKA, ketoacidosis. So what are the, some the of those, the main room? ones people should look out for? So um, sudden unexplained weight loss, um, drinking excessively, um, bedwetting or using the bathroom um, every night. Um, and when you say drinking excessively, I just want to add this in. Like I can say, like I would watch Leah drink um, probably five cups of water in a row and her lips would still be, they'd be like shriveling up and she'd say, I'm so, so thirsty. Like 
we're talking extreme thirst. Yes, like you're nonstop. dying in a desert. Like I you need, must I, have I that last water. drop of water. Yeah. It's it's like crazy thirst. Yes, like, and that in that last drop of water is what clued Stefan to Casey having diabetes. She said mm-hmm. he drank to the last drop of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's um, wounds not healing. There's complaining of stomach pain. Um, fatigue, weakness. Yeah, major um, fatigue, for sure. Just, like, you know, a, a feeling of not feeling well. Um, and uh, there could be, um, what are some of the other ones? Um, well, Leah was in, in DKA, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. So her breath, to me, smelled like, do you remember that fruit stripe gum? Yeah, you talking about zebra stripe? Yes. It's delicious, but it only lasts about 10 seconds. 10 seconds. <laughs> but that's when she was talking to me and saying, mommy, like in my face, I could smell it. It smelled like wow. fruit gum. And that is like the, so um, weird. the sugar that just has like nowhere to go wow. yes. in your body, the acids coming out. And I do feel like I, I smelled that on Casey's breath mm-hmm. when I was talking to him and I had read that on Google and I was like, huh, that's is right. that am I really smelling that? Yeah. You're like questioning. And at it. first, you're like, well, "What does that mean?" Until you smell it, and I'll oh, never forget so that obvious. smell. I'll never forget. Yeah, it. it's wow. very fruity. Wow. It was just the strangest thing, and it like as soon as I smelled it when she was talking to me, I felt like my heart break because I knew at that moment I knew that this this is what it was. Wow. As soon as I smelled it, I'm like, "We're going, we're going to the ER." Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. It's so crazy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would definitely want people to know the symptoms so that they, like, I don't think any parent or child should have to go through ketoacidosis. Yeah, maybe or, maybe or, when I make the introduction to this episode, I'll let people know that it, whatever they do, if there's press for time, whatever, skip to the end of the episode so you can hear right. the, this stuff. And yes. I, I think also, and I, I say this all the time when I talk to people about it, Um, trust your gut because, you know, while I would never say, you know, don't trust your doctor, I I happened to have a doctor at the time who was not great. So I went and found a great doctor. So we have a wonderful doctor, but, um, you know, your child, you know what they're normally like, you know, how they normally behave, what their energy Mm -hmm. level is. So, you know, your kid, you know, even though I don't have a medical degree and I'm never going to diagnose her with something, you know, when something's not right. Trust your gut, and if you're not getting the answers or, or the attention you feel you need, you move on to somebody else, and, and you, you make sure you get that attention. And definitely run it by other people, because mm-hmm. you know the more people you get an opinion from, the more it can almost become real to you, mm-hmm. instead of thinking, oh, this can't be, you know, it's not that, you know. Right. Um, run it by other people. And, you know, other than that, the one other thing I would want to leave people with is um, what could save a diabetic's life in an emergency. So hypoglycemia is when their sugar falls below 70 and anything going below 70 is just not going to be good for them. And if it's not stopped um, and they're not helped, then they can go into a coma. Can I just say, just so you guys know, when it goes low like that, it's, it's more dangerous than if it goes too high. When it starts getting low... Uh, that's when you have to jump on it yeah. immediately. That's a more immediate problem. High blood yes. sugar is also bad, um, but 
the most immediate thing where a diabetic is going to need intervention is a low blood sugar. And, you know, we found that, you know, they, they give you guidelines. Every diabetic is different with what's low for them and what's low for somebody else. But it's important that if it is below 70, they are getting, um, you know, the care that they need and yes. the carbs that they need, yeah. So that could be a 14-carb juice box or half a cup of juice, uh, one cup of skim milk. A quick digesting sugar. Yes, Fast it could acting, be candy. Yes. Fast acting, right. Can, uh, some candy, like 15 Skittles. It could be a, um, half a tablespoon of honey. Um, and it could be even um, icing gel rubbed on their gums. Right. And this is only if they're if they're conscious. If they happen to be yes. unconscious, you know, you want to check whatever bag or fanny pack a diabetic has with them where you can find something that can help them if they're unconscious, whether it be um, a glucagon needle or um, a nasal spray. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to make sure you check their items if they happen to be unconscious and obviously call 911. Yes, and always check, like if it's a stranger, just look and see if they're wearing a diabetic band mm -hmm. because diabetics generally carry around something that marks them as diabetic because um, the doctors at the hospital once told me if they don't know, an emergency personnel doesn't know the person's diabetic, then they will inject them with the wrong thing mm -hmm. that will actually be worse for them. Mm -hmm. So um, that would definitely be a thing is if you, if you ever saw someone pass out in a shopping mall or wherever, mm -hmm. Just see, are they diabetic? You Listen, know? I know that if diabetes has nothing to do with your life, I appreciate you. I'm We, uh, the three of us, appreciate you listening to us. Uh, we feel, I don't know about you guys, I feel very good we were able to talk about this and people can be educated by this podcast. I feel really, really good about this. So if you listen, thank you so much. And um, it's time to change the tune because I have chat pack and tradition is tradition. <laughs> we got to answer some chat pack questions. So Heather... You are our guest. Go ahead and point to one, and that will be the one that I read to you. Oh, brother. Okay. This She's one. going middle, people. <laughs> She's going middle. I'm nervous. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have any pet peeves, but if you do, what is your biggest, largest pet peeve? <laughs> <laughs> I have many, so I have to narrow it down. <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. Yeah, you got to narrow it down to that one, that oh one that you just gosh. cannot stand. I've heard people say, like, oh, the people who don't use their blinker, or they cut you off. Oh. Chewing chips in a movie theater. I don't know, there's so many. What what can't you um, stand? Well, the one that just jumps out, even though I do have multiple, um, <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm I'm easily annoyed, but <laughs> the shopping carts. Is it really that hard to put your shopping cart back in the shopping cart corral? Do so. Do you see people just leave it there? Oh, do you ever, yeah. I never see. I always see oh, the cart, yeah. and I know someone's been here oh, yeah. and made a bad decision. I mean, and I'm not gonna like say that I've definitely rolled the window down and said something. <laughs> um, but sometimes I feel like. You know, you just have to say to people, I mean, it's four feet. We can't walk four feet. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you, know. you walked all around the store. <laughs> you can't. walked all around the store. You walked all the way to your car, I know. but you can't make it those extra few feet to help out the guy who needs to push these back to the I, store. 
I know. It just, it really, really irks me. I feel like they should all face that guy. And, and <laughs> I just come face to face. That's a good one. I agree. That's like one of those things where you judge them. It's like, ooh, you might be a bad I person. I know. You know what? I really do. I judge. I judge with, you know, and if I'm insulting anybody, you should put your card hey, back. put Sorry. your card back. If you're one of those people, turn. I don't want you listening to my show. Put your card back. <laughs> Lisa, do you have a pet peeve? Oh my gosh, I really feel like I have so many, but I'm trying to think of which one. You're still thinking? You had all that time and you're still thinking? Should I move on or do you think you're going to get one? I'm almost curious to ask you what you think my pet peeve is since I have so many. Oh, dang. Why'd you throw that curveball at me? Oh. Oh, man, there's going to be some dead air. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Okay. All I can think about is things that I do to make you angry. <laughs> uh, I know for a fact that you don't like when the kids leave the doors open. <laughs> Boom. I got one. Yes. Acceptable. Sure. You get pretty mad about that. Because, <laughs> like, our doors are, it's either the door so a bug could get in, or it's the door from that leads our school to our house. So, suddenly, if she leaves that door open, you know, that's like 33 kids outside our door. <laughs> it's a lot of. All right. All right. Next chat, pa- chat pack. Lisa, this one's on you. Point to the one that I will read to you. That one. Man, you guys are going for the middle. Respect it. Oh, this is interesting being that you are a school owner. But I guess we're talking about the way public schools are. If you could change one thing. Oh, I've got a good answer for this. I'm going to answer first. If you could change one thing about school and only one thing, what would it be? I've got an answer for that for me. What I would... Go, no, go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. So I would totally... Make it mandatory for all kids from the age of, from the grade kindergarten all the way up to, I don't know, maybe about sixth grade to eighth grade, they must do martial arts in school. Hear me out. I Obviously, it's been a lifelong passion of mine. Martial artists, first of all, they need the energy to get out. That is so important. Um, and if bullying is such an issue in schools, no bully is a martial artist. Martial artists feel confident in themselves and know they can defend themselves. People who are bullies have no idea how to defend themselves. And the way that they treat people is is probably loosely based off of that, that they're insecure in those certain ways. So I think that if everyone did martial arts and even did a little sparring, put on some pads uh, and showed respect to each other, did traditional martial arts where they show respect to each other, I truly think that everyone would benefit and they would learn self-defense so they and how much confidence does someone get from that i mean you throw down with your uh, boxing right Yep, (laughs) it's a huge thing i couldn't imagine how i would feel or especially as a a woman if if i didn't know how to defend myself if i was in a bad situation so that's what i would change about school mandatory martial arts but gosh there's so many other things i could say but that's the one so i think that i would say to increase teaching practical life skills. I really think that there's obviously the children need to learn, you know, 
reading and math and all of that. But once you go out into the real world, I really feel like a lot of people are unprepared for practical life skills that you're actually going to confront. Like you're not going to sit there and do algebra for most people. Some people in their job, they might be mm -hmm. doing algebra. But I'm, I'm not really using algebra in everyday life, but I am using lots of other skills that like I suddenly need to learn right. in the real world. And I don't know, maybe it just comes from having a Montessori background where like there's a big emphasis on teaching practical no, life no, skills. No, no, it's truth. But, you are absolutely right. But the, the world really needs children to come out of school also feeling confident and prepared for real life and what is going to, you know, confront them on a day-to-day -day basis. Hit them in right. the face. Uh, you got to mm. be ready for that stuff because life is hard, if you, especially if you don't know the basics. Right. And I think another thing maybe to piggyback off of that would be coping skills um, and ways for them to handle stress and maybe that I, I feel like kids should be having gym and music like if not every day every other day and more P -p -p -preach. recess time and it's so important for um coping skills um like dealing with stress being confident finding what they like and and even just um bonding with each other and having more of a connection with each other physical and like mental health it's so important and i feel like you know they're doing so much during the day and they're jam packing all and, and teachers are working so hard and you know they're they're packing in this curriculum curriculum trying and, to catch them doing, up catch yeah, them like, up, up to the grade and, and, and doing their best and doing a great job but i feel you know i see the kids every day and they're like they're so burnt out i know What's and some, some, like some have anxiety anxiety and not knowing how to cope with it and let's give them those skills. Let's let's open up their minds. Um, you know, the teacher I work with, she does a little bit of meditation when they come back from That's cool. recess, and it's so great, and That's they cool. love it, and it's awesome. And I think we need more of that. Totally and, agree. And also because kids don't just need to cope, but when they become an adult, a lot of stuff is going to happen, and they're right. going to need to cope as an adult. Exactly. But I no, mean, they need to know trigonometry and fractions <laughs> and dividing decimals. we got to get them to learn the facts, Lisa. <laughs> Guys, this was awesome. Is there anyone out there in the world that you want to give a shout-out to? Yes. I, want, I would like to give a shout-out to... Everybody who has helped us on our new type 1 diabetic journey, and that absolutely includes Heather. Mm. Oh. Um, I don't know where I would be without you right now. It absolutely includes Teresa Christopher. Um, it Steph. absolutely includes Steph Perez and my mother, who is there yes. for us. She's here for Thank us you, today. She is She's there the for us. She's the absolute best grandma ever. ever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's there for us thousand percent mm -hmm. and for Casey and um and I'd like to give a shout out to my dad who's just an emotional support to get us through all this and just to anybody who has been there for us reached out to us um offered advice to us um we've had a bunch of type 1 diabetic friends reach out and check on us um talk to us and I just have to say, it just means the world to us because when you get hit by type 1 um, diabetes, it you sort of feel like it's a bit of a lonely world. But then you come across the type 1 diabetic community and you stop feeling so alone. So thank you, especially to you, Heather, since you're sitting next to me. And I can look at you and say that with my full heart. Aww. <laughs> 
Jeez. You're so welcome. I mean, I, it, it, it helps me to help you guys and other people. Like I, I feel like I'm doing, you know, I'm doing my best and I'm helping to do good for other people, which is helpful to us in our, in our everyday life. So I appreciate that. Um, you there know. Were, that you got to know there's I'm a very calm not always calm I freak out but like <laughs> for the most part I'm calm and like there were nights where she needed you and you were there for her and I I cannot uh there's no way to play it down like I, I we just appreciate you big time oh thank you I'm always here for you guys I'm always will be here for you guys and Casey any, no. you know anything we can it's nice to know do. that so who is your shout out to um my family obviously they've been wonderful uh, my friend Heather has just been a lifesaver, the constant texting and calling and, you know, her putting up with me and Teresa has always been wonderful. And Cindy McBride, who was our nurse at the elementary school when Leah was diagnosed, she's unbelievable and wonderful and just amazing. And um, our diabetes educator, Ken, his, uh, his name is Ken uh, at CHOP, he was probably like just a game changer, life changer for us and, and his support. Um, so he was wonderful and I'm just so grateful to have met you guys. And like, I just feel like, you know, I, I know you say I I've been helping you guys, but I just feel like our, our relationship and being able to talk and exchange has, has also been so beneficial to us. So I appreciate you guys. Oh, thank oh, you, Heather. Awesome. And Sam, hold on a minute. You got to give your shout out. I, I do this show all the time. Do I have to give a shout <laughs> yes, out every single yes, time? you do. You have to give a shout out. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to give my shout out to my son, Casey. Casey, man, we're so proud of you. We love you so much. I'm I'm actually glad I get, I'm glad I get to give a shout out because, oh, dude, we love you to death. And sometimes I give you that shot and I look at you and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I got to do this, bud. <laughs> but um, I'm just so proud that like, you you just kind of like live it up. It's like you don't have anything. You're just a, a kid living the dream. The strongest <laughs> so. little guy that I know. Yeah. Yeah. I so. love you, Casey Duke. We love you, dude. <laughs> Casey Duke. All right, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Casey Duke, <laughs> Leah, everyone who has diabetes, and uh, of course, Heather and Lisa.